And then all of a sudden it was like I caught the bug. You know, it's so contagious. You feel like you're making a difference. You feel like you're getting involved. And basically that one panel like changed the next three years. You're listening to Your Financial Planner Now What, the podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Emily Purden is today's guest, and she started her career in 2016. She quickly realized that her CFP certification and financial planning degree hadn't really prepared her for the realities of being a planner. In the midst of comprehensive planning while on the job, she learned that it's so much more than different silos of planning and that everything starts to overlap. Straight ahead, Emily and Hannah discuss how to develop a new career as a planner, how to network, and the benefits of FPA residency. When you think about the work of financial planners, do you think of words like passion, purpose, and impact? If not, then something just isn't right. I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade, and we believe that empowering people to live their best lives is a noble calling. The independent RAAs who work with us use their passion to help transform client lives, communities, and their own futures. Want to learn more about how we can support you in helping your clients reach their financial goals? Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Well, thanks for joining us today, Emily. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. So I am so excited to have you on this podcast. You are 25 and you already have quite the resume for a financial planner. Um, And so I want to really dig into kind of how you did that. So first of all, how did you get into financial planning? So I actually went to Virginia Tech and got a degree in finance and found out that I was going to graduate early and I didn't want to miss out on another football season. So I honestly found a track that I thought was interesting and it happened to be the certified financial planning track. Um, And Virginia Tech has graduated hundreds of students through that program over the years. So I found it through an advisor at Virginia Tech. Um, He is, I think, a mentor to a lot of us um, and kind of went from there. And did you start with an internship while you were in school? I did, actually. So funny enough, um, I think my first internship was actually with Morgan Stanley. Um, And at the time, I had no idea what wealth management was, what financial planning was, but I took it because it sounded like a great opportunity. It's a well-known company. Um, So that was my first internship, actually, my sophomore summer. And then from there, I applied to a few different companies, mostly in corporate finance, and I ended up at Boeing. And Boeing was a wonderful experience. I look back at that very fondly, um, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do necessarily as a career. And uh, after that, I ended up at a fee-based firm called VLP Financial Advisors. Um, And kind of that's when I really started digging into planning. Uh, And that's also in the Northern Virginia area. So it's where I wanted to be full time. Uh, So I had three kind of different internships, I guess, a little bit diverse. Yeah. And that really helped like show you what you wanted to do after graduation. Yeah, I got a little bit of, I feel like I got a little bit of finance. I got a little bit of accounting and I got some financial planning in. And I think by the end of it, I was really able to walk away saying, you know, I know what I want to do. I want to be a financial advisor. I want, I knew the area that I wanted to be in. I kind of knew the career path that I wanted. And I was really able to look at previous Virginia Tech graduates who have done the same thing and kind of make that dream a reality. So as you're graduating college and looking to you know, your first full-time financial planning job, what were your expectations of what financial planning would look like like in practice day to day? 
That's a great question. Honestly, I think my expectations were it was going to be exactly like my college classes. There was going to be a little bit of insurance, a little bit of investments, a little bit of tax. And I was just going to look at those kind of in silos for clients. Um, We always talk about comprehensive financial planning, but I had absolutely no idea what that meant um, until I kind of got a few months into the career and realized, you know, when we meet with these clients, we know everything about them, you know, personally, professionally. Um, So I think my my expectations versus reality were quite different. um, But I love the way that we integrate everything um, here at SBSB and I'm sure other planning firms in the area. Um, It's exactly what I felt like Virginia Tech set me up for and prepared me for. And I think that's one of the benefits of graduating from one of those certified, you know, financial planning education tracks is you are set up for success, I think, very early in your career. And so you are working at SBSB, which can you tell me about the firm for people who don't know? Yeah, sure. So SBSB, when I started was, I think about 50 people. I think we're close to 65 now. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, we've actually grown a lot um, pretty organically over the last few years since I started. We've done a lot of hiring um, of students out of college, as well as just kind of career changers, people who are just making a small shift or sometimes even a major change. Um, And so now uh, I think we're close to 3.3 billion assets under management. And we all work um, in departments. And then within the departments, we work in silos. So I am in the client service department. Uh, There's also a tax and a portfolio management department. So within my department, I actually work on a team. Um, My team is the smallest. So I work uh, just specifically for one relationship manager who's been in the business, I think, almost 20 years, if not longer. Um, And so I work with, her name's Barbara. And um, I have an operations specialist named Shelly. And that's pretty much our team. I service about half of Barb's book. So that's about 60 clients. Um, and it keeps me quite busy. <laughs> and then so uh, Barbara has another service associate like you who's servicing the other half of her practice? Yes. Yeah, that's definitely true. So um, his name is Taylor. He's actually a senior manager. Um, so he is a little bit more advanced in his career, but he serves the other half of her book. And then together, that's kind of our team of four. And uh, that's pretty much how the whole firm operates is in these little silos. And that's kind of, I think, how we've found certain efficiencies and really been able to service you know, a client book of about 120. When you came in, did you immediately fill that role where you were client-facing, engaging with clients from day one? You know, I, I think I did. It's it's funny, looking back three years ago, I think when I first started, I wasn't on a silo. I just kind of worked for multiple silos. Um, we were really, as a firm, making some some big shifts in what our firm was going to look like going forward. So I worked for a few different relationship managers and... I was by far the youngest, you know, obviously right out of school. And they did a really good job getting me into client meetings, you know, getting me client facing. And then I I would say while I did some client correspondence, you know, most of it was just trying to get me some face-to-face time and really help me, you know, meet and understand the client. You know, it was interesting. You talked about how much um, SBSB has grown since you've been there. And in three years, I mean, that's almost a 30% growth. I mean, that's a huge growth rate. But has that affected your job capacity at all with these silos? 
So it's funny. I actually don't feel affected by it other than positively because I feel like a lot of the hiring was students out of college or, you know, recent graduates. So I feel like I've made more friends at work than when I first started. It just that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, So I love, you know, all the new energy coming in. It's really contagious. There's a little bit of, you know, healthy competition, that kind of thing. Um, But no, because we have the work, we have the client load. I think that every associate, as we're called, is, um, you know, utilized pretty fully. So I wouldn't say I'm affected in one way or another um, by all the hiring. Um, I am looking forward to kind of us growing our careers together, though, you know, and reaching manager and kind of just growing and learning together. Um, I think that that's pretty exciting. And what does a career path look like for you at SBSB right now? There's a long version and a short version. Um, We're pretty vertical, I would say. So at every level, there's pretty much two levels, which means the associate, senior associate, followed then by manager, senior manager, director, senior director. So everyone's career path looks a little bit different. But I would say that that's one thing that we really you know, find success in because when we're trying to hire interns, interns want a career path. They want an understanding of if they were hired full time, you know, what that would look like. Um, and so I think we're, we've put a lot of thought into that. And I think it's been very much to our success, um, especially trying to, you know, help associates out understanding what their timeline looks like when they're really, um, you know, required to develop business, when they're, you know, when you hit certain milestones, it's pretty laid out and um, leadership really supports us. And I think that while every path looks a little bit different, um, I, I would say people can find long-term success here pretty easily. So you said leadership supports us. And I'm always yeah. interested whenever I hear that. What does that look like practically for you? Okay. So I think, um, you know, among the vertical kind of path I just described, we have an executive team and they all have, I think that, you know, there's five of them and they have different personalities and different skills, but I ended up choosing um, our COO, uh, Martine, as my mentor for the last few years. So I guess personally, what that looks like for me is just my interaction with her um, and kind of talking to her about what I'm interested in and planning, kind of the involvement that interests me the most. Um, She is a highly credentialed individual. Um, I'm probably going to miss one, but, you know, MBA, CFP, CPA, um, very, very bright. And so being able to look at someone who's not actually a financial planner um, because she runs the company is really, I think, unique and provides just different insight than maybe I would get from my direct boss. Um, so what that looked like for me actually was I love recruiting. (laughs) I like, I find it contagious. I love meeting college students and talking to them about their career goals and their ideal career path. And so she kind of picked up on that. And as a result, um, I was able to go to the university of Georgia and Texas tech university and of course, Virginia tech and really help the company recruit new talent. And I did that while it wasn't part of my job description at all. Like I was not hired in any sort of HR or recruiting role. Um, She found that that was something that I enjoyed. We worked well together as a team. And so we traveled around and talked about SBSB. And um, I loved that. It was such a nice, um, I feel like, use of my skills. And also it was just really refreshing to kind of take a step back and say, let me give back to students because I was a student, you know, very recently. 
we talked about like this career path and you, you laid out a bunch of different levels for your next step. Would you be on the same team that you're on now? Or would that require you to move to a different part of the company or how, what does that look like? Yeah. So um, I think it's looked different over the years, but as of right now, um, my understanding is it would be on the same team. And that's part of the reason that we're really focusing on the silo is because I've developed relationships with clients the last three years. Yes, of course, they're barbarous clients, but I've been servicing them. The point is, is if I move up to manager, maybe I service them um, a little bit differently and I kind of elevate myself a little bit. But the point is to stay with those clients because the clients rely on the team for kind of their planning needs. And so your role in the firm would change then? Exactly. Yeah. So um, my, I think my role and how I correspond with clients, it's it's something that we consider, it, it's called a lead planner. I think other firms have something very similar, if not the same thing, where you kind of step into that role of leading the relationship, which looks a little different for every client. Um, but the point is, is to elevate yourself into this kind of lead planner role. And then that's when another associate comes, you know, from school or from a job change, and you kind of help them grow and help them learn. And it's kind of this, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, right? You know, you work your way up um, and bring others with you. So is your expectation that someday that you'll be basically the barber for your clients? Yes. So, um, and that's kind of where I, there's a little bit of a gray area on how long that takes. Um, you know, for someone like me coming out of college, I'm still in those those learning years, those primary learning years. And so my job is to develop basically a technical competency that will last me through my career. And of course, that's through continued education and a lot of other things. But right now, if I really focus on the technical um, you know, over the next few years, I'll also simultaneously be developing the relational aspects to, I guess, what financial planning is. And so ideally, yes, I would end up being in a role very similar to Barbara. Um, and that's kind of what's happened over the years is we've seen all of these associates, you know, kind of make their way up. Um, a great example is our tax department. Uh, Patrick Dunn started, I think, I think as an intern, it might have been as an associate, and now he is the head of our tax department. So he's a relationship manager, but also runs an entire department. And I think that that mix of career is really interesting. Um, and I would definitely be looking for opportunities later to kind of have some sort of dual role where you're a relationship manager with your book of business, um, like a Barbara, but maybe finding opportunities to um, be involved in the actual leadership or running of the company. What does your day-to-day -day look like? So my day-to-day -day is always different, which I think is what a lot of people love about financial planning, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you're not sitting there behind a desk, just monot what is the word? Monotony, that kind of thing. You're, not, you're really enjoying yourself. So I think that every day looks a little different, but for the most part, it's a lot of meeting prep and then meeting follow-up. So meetings really drive, um, I would say, my workflow. And so when maybe meetings are a bit slower, that tends to be during tax season. So I actually prepare individual and trust tax returns. So um, during that season, that tends to pick up. And then throughout the year, I do quarterly tax projections. So that's always thrown into my day. Um, we do have, like I mentioned before, an internship program. Um, so actually this past summer, I led the internship program. We had a student from Virginia Tech 
and a student from Texas Tech. So that was part of my day, right? For the three months over the summer, I was able to kind of integrate them into what an associate actually does and help them with their training program and kind of get them involved in local next-gen events and FPA events. And so that was all of a sudden part of my day. Um, So, you know, everything's just... It just uh, is always different and always exciting. Um, I always love when a client calls me and wants to chat with me about something. And right now we're rolling out a new portfolio reporting system. So now all of a sudden a big part of my day is getting clients set up and making sure that they understand the new reporting system, um, which is going to be, you know, a temporary flow of work. um, And then that'll change again. So I think uh, they keep us busy around here, but it's it's definitely always something different and something unique. Was there anything that really surprised you when you started working full-time from what you were expecting <laughs> back in college? Um, yes. All of a sudden, you have no time for anything else. <laughs> I, had a, <laughs> I had a really honestly tough time with that. Um, you know how it was in college. If you wanted to skip a class or you wanted to go to some event, I mean, you just had nothing but time. And in college, I would have argued differently. I would have said, oh, my schedule is so full. But um, yeah, when you're working 40 to 50 hours a week, it becomes pretty difficult to like go to the grocery store and run errands and make time for your family and make time for your friends. So I always thought I had time management kind of, I was like, I'm ready. I got this. But no, that was a big surprise. It It was really quite the workload to manage. You know, you come home maybe a little stressed, maybe you're worried for the next work day. I mean, in college, that's just not necessarily the case. So that was different. And then honestly, having a paycheck (laughs) was very different. Um, Like, I think I thought that I wasn't really going to be affected by that. But all of a sudden, you have so much more money than hypothetically you had in college. And you have to learn how to invest it and how to save for retirement. All these things are kind of thrown at you. And thank God we're in the profession that we're in. I mean, we have such a leg up. I feel very lucky to kind of be prepared to think about those things. Um, I think that honestly helped me land on my feet probably more solidly than I would have otherwise. One of the things I hear a lot from young planners or a question that I get a lot is, will clients actually listen to me as somebody in my early 20s giving them advice on their personal finances? <laughs> what have you found in your experience? Oh, man. That is, a, that is a loaded question. I have a lot of different ways I'd love to answer that. I am going to start with the one of my favorite comments. You reminded me of my granddaughter or, oh, my granddaughter just graduated or my, you know, something along those lines of their immediately, not only not their daughter, but their granddaughter. Um, (laughs) So I have gotten that honestly countless times, some sort of comment um, that very much makes my age apparent. Um, And if they don't make a, you know, a a comment like that somewhere along the lines, it'll be maybe we're talking about a stock market crash. Oh, well, you were in like sixth grade. Okay, thank you. I know that. (laughs) So I think that clients sometimes try to find a little bit of humor in it because they really are. They're sitting across from someone, you know, decades younger. Um, But I will say two things. Um, Having a relationship manager like Barbara in the room is wonderful because, Barb helps build my credibility when I'm in those meetings. She'll talk about the fact I got my CFP and I and I got my EA and she'll talk about my involvement in a way where I'm not doing it so I can stay quiet. (laughs) But Barb's doing it and kind of building me up. 
And honestly, the second or third time I see those clients, it's it's such a non-issue. You know, at first it might have been just blatantly apparent, but building trust and kind of building that relationship supersedes any other kind of notions or stereotypes. And often I find that sometimes it's in our own heads yes. more than it is in reality. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I do sit there and I would say I have not only Barb, I guess that's the first thing that I felt like she's she's great, you know, sitting in those client meetings. I actually have much older parents. And so I am able to talk with clients about things that I'm personally not affected by, but I know that my parents are. And to be honest, like, as you know, couples come in and next thing you know, it's 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 marriage therapy or some sort of counseling, or maybe they're sharing a story about their health and, you know, some recent struggles that they've been having. And being able to have parents in their 70s where you can say, you know what, my dad, actually, this is a true story. You know, my dad had a heart attack earlier this year, and this is kind of how our family, you know, dealt with it. And here are a few things that kind of helped me get through it. And all of a sudden, I can connect with clients that have years of life experience that I don't have. But having older parents helps me, I guess, bridge the gap of those conversations. So I feel pretty lucky to kind of have the combination of the the support of a wonderful relationship manager, but then the experience of my family to kind of help everyone communicate a little bit better. You mentioned, you know, financial therapy and, and counseling, those pieces. Do you feel equipped to navigate those conversations or, you know, is Barbara really kind of there and you're, you're really learning from her? I'm going to answer this kind of two ways, I guess, that with financial planning, you can prove that you're competent through designations or you can prove that you're competent, you know, after building that relationship with the clients, maybe you help them with their taxes. And then all of a sudden next year it's tax time and they have some questions and you've, you've kind of built that trust. I will say that that comes faster. And I think that that comes more easily than anything in the realm of financial therapy or counseling, um, And I think that that's because, I guess, one, that's not necessarily what a lot of financial planners uh, major in or study or have a background in. So it's automatically going to be a little bit of a gray area. Um, I think it's a gray area for a lot of CFP professionals, both ethically and considering whether or not they actually have the skill set. So I would say that anything in that realm, while I study it and learn about it and hope to one day kind of figure out a successful way to integrate that into practice. I personally am not there yet. Um, But I would say that when you have a relationship with clients, you develop kind of a trust. And um, a funny story, actually, Barbara recently, um, one of her clients became widowed. And um, she she jokes, but she's she's right that she's kind of like the husband in the relationship because she, this this widow relied on her husband for financial advice and guidance and really had no sort of um, you know foundational knowledge in financial planning. And so Barb jokes, you know, but she asks questions of Barbara that she would have asked of her husband. So I think in a way that is almost a therapy counseling type relationship. Um, but I would say it's more of an underlying thing than a, a thing that's actively practiced, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a way of showing up with clients, I think. Exactly. Yeah, it's a way of being there, showing up for them. Um, and the Financial Therapy Association is doing wonderful things and like leaps and bounds for, I think, ways to integrate therapy um, successfully. 
Um, so, you know, I'm sure more to come on that right in the next few years. So one thing that's really impressive about you, Emily, is that you've gotten involved not just in your day job, in those 40 hours of work, but you've gone above and beyond and in getting involved in, in NextGen, in writing a paper, and I'm sure there's probably other ways. But can you talk about kind of how you decided to get involved in the things outside of your, your day job, if you would? Yeah, definitely. So like I kind of alluded to earlier is when I first started, there weren't a lot of peers for me to kind of look around and say, hey, you know, how are you getting involved? What are the things that I need to be doing? Um, So I kind of deferred to Virginia Tech alums that I knew had reached success in their, you know, 20s, basically in this profession, Um, you know, namely Rianca and Yusuf and Lauren, and actually Mark as well, who worked at SBSB at the time. And I kind of looked at them and I was like, okay, you know, how do I achieve the things that they've achieved? And without a doubt, like NextGen was such a big part of, of their foundation that I knew that that's kind of, that was a step that I needed to take. Um, so I just started getting involved in FPA. And actually my first thing that I did was I was a recent graduate and I did a panel for the FPA National Capital Area Career Day. So I was a panelist. That was it. I think I might have even sat on a roundtable. And then all of a sudden, it was like I caught the bug. You know, it's so contagious. You feel like you're making a difference. You feel like you're getting involved. And basically, that one panel like changed the next three years. I just became more actively involved. I, I sat on planning committees for the Next Gen Retreat and the Next Gen Career Day. And now this year, I'm actually running um, the Career Day. So, you know, it starts with being a panelist and you end up, you know, with the opportunity to kind of become more involved. So I would say, you know, there's no such thing as too little involvement, right? Like just kind of dip your toes in and, and go from there. It really is. You find your people and you just you just want to do it more frequently. Have you found that it's helped your career? I you know that's an interesting an interesting question. I don't think that it has necessarily impacted my job as a financial planner at SBSB. I do not think that it has any sort of takeaway on my day to day. But I will say it's phenomenal networking. Um, the ability to kind of reach out and ask, you know, you can develop mentorship relationships. Like Lauren was my mentor for a year um, and, of course, very successful at Yeski Bowie. And I think it can help you professionally in your growth and development, but maybe not necessarily, you know, helping you get to from associate to senior associate, if that makes sense. And I'll say, you know, in my experience, I never understood, first of all, that I was building it, but then I never understood how important it was until you needed it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, how does anybody do it without this network? Exactly. Yep. That's uh, so true. And so you have your day-to-day practice as a financial planner, and then you have all the stuff that you're doing with NextGen, but then you've also written a research paper. So can you tell me, how did, how did this come about? Yes, definitely. So talking about building your network, uh, Dr. Acevedo was a teacher at Virginia Tech for almost three years, I think, um, in the financial planning department. And I took a few of her classes and really connected with her, started developing kind of a mentorship relationship. Um, and she really guided me kind of with my next steps, you know, once I graduated she kind of talked me through the timing of studying and taking the CFP exam and studying and taking the enrolled agent examinations and then kind of 
figuring out what was next for me. And at the time, she had talked a lot about Kansas State because I think she has her undergraduate, her master's, and her PhD from that uh, financial planning program. And, you know, she was like, hey, uh, Kansas State has a wonderful graduate certificate in financial planning or financial therapy. Um, and then I, she herself had actually gotten one in conflict resolution, I think around that same time from Kansas State. And so we were kind of communicating about this whole realm of, you know, financial therapy and conflict resolution techniques. And kind of through that came the possibility to basically co-author with her. And PhDs publish all of the time. And I knew that she was really um, well-respected in the areas of like different, you know, peer-reviewed academic journals. So I kind of reached out and I said, hey, I think it would be awesome, a really different experience for me. Uh, this is kind of what I'm thinking, you know, what are your thoughts? And she was all for it. And we kind of built off of a prior paper that she had written. And then we ended up getting published actually in the October Journal of Financial Planning. So it kind of all happened in the course of almost a year. And I would, I want to do it, you know, all over again. It was such a wonderful experience. Let's break down this experience because yeah. I'm fascinated by this. And and I want, oh my gosh, I want more young people listening to this podcast <laughs> to, to do this. It's so needed. So did you have to go do research yourself for this paper? Okay. So the Journal of Financial Planning and actually journals in general publish all sorts of different types of things. We ended up publishing in the contribution section, which is toward the end of the journal, and it's definitely more academic research um, versus maybe a column that I could write perhaps about NextGen, which would usually go toward the front of the journal, and it would be a shorter article with you know much less uh, research required. So there's all sorts of opportunities, but we ended up doing the contribution section because I do think that that's where most PhDs publish. Um, and so she had this kind of foundational paper that she had written before. And a lot of the research she had done in the space of conflict resolution, like I said, because of her certificate. So a lot of, I think, the value that I added was, well, among just obviously a second person writing and reading and editing, um, was the fact that I'm a practitioner. And that's where I feel like I, I just see like a rainbow when I think about that, because any financial planning practitioner could reach out to a PhD. And we have such wonderful programs. I mentioned them earlier. Te Texas Tech, Georgia, and Kansas State specifically have these professors that write and publish and research. And when you can pair that with a practitioner, we, we had the opportunity to present at FPA because the pairing was so unique um, that a practitioner was able to read it and understand it and have actual key takeaways versus maybe another research paper, which could be maybe a little analytical or you're feeling like, oh, how do I use this in practice? So I would so encourage anyone uh, who feels like they're interested in writing and research to just find that pairing and find that topic and, and just give it a shot. I mean, there's, there's nothing to lose from it and pretty much everything to gain. So when did you start doing this? Like how long of a project was this? Yeah, I, I think it was about a year. I, I feel like we started pretty heavily in January, um, but had chatted about it. Like I said, you know, as a mentor, she had started giving me, you know, pretty much a lot of a lot of advice, I guess, throughout my my three years. But um, once we kind of started like 
really talking about it and working on it. I think it was just very early this year. Um, and we worked, you know, virtually through a, a combination of Google Docs and Google Dropbox. And we had occasional, you know, video conferences just to kind of get on the same page. And we basically come away with action items and we'd work on it and then come back together. And I mean, it's no different than working on a college project, really. Oh, I love that analogy. Yeah. I mean, it isn't, you know. And so what did it feel like when you got your journal of financial planning and saw your published article? I'm about to like sound like such a nerd, but honestly, it was the best feeling in the world. Like it was, we were supposed to be published in the November issue. And then I got to the FPA conference and literally maybe a day before that, I had realized we were actually released in the October issue. And so when we had, um, we all filled up that massive room. I, I don't know how many people it seats, maybe a thousand, maybe 2000. And we sat down in this big kind of conference hall. I mean, you were there and the, the journal was on like our chairs, you know what I mean? And so all of a sudden it was like, I know that it gets dispersed to a bunch of advisors, obviously all over the country, but it was like a very tangible, measurable, just thing that, as you know, sometimes in your profession, it's kind of hard to measure your achievements, um, especially with client interaction. You know, how do you actually measure that? And I had this journal in my hand and it was just this feeling of accomplishment. And all of a sudden I just had a lot of people talking to me about it and it was great. It was honestly just, it was the best feeling. So you're 25, you have a published article in the journal of financial planning. You're, you know, progressing in your career track but you're also going to school for your master's degree right now. Yes. So I'm actually getting um, a master's certificate at Kansas State um, because they also they let you, you know, study virtually, which is big when you're, you know, working full time. And they have a financial therapy certificate program um, that's basically six classes. But if you have your CFP, you know, you test out of one. Um, so, you know, it's a few credits. And I think I'll be able to get it this spring. I'll be all wrapped up with it. And what I love about it, it's it's most of the uh, courses are taught by Dr. Uh, Megan McCoy, actually. And um, what I love about it is when you are working a 40-hour week, it is so hard to find time to read and keep engaged. And the number one thing teachers do is they force out assigned reading. Here's four books I want you to read. Here's a bunch of articles that were recently published. Um, you know, I want you to read this. I want you to get engaged. And having that little bit of a, a push to say, I need to read these because we have weekly classes and I need to be able to foster good discussion. I mean, it's such a nice way to fill in that whole lifetime of learning kind of, um, you know, itch that people have. So I am doing that as well, um, considering other kind of master's actual degrees versus certificate programs. But, you know, I have a little bit more thinking to do on that. But what's great about it is I meet peers that are actually getting their PhDs um, and their master's because the classes I'm taking are required of of those degrees. So all of a sudden I connect with PhD candidates and they want to get published. So, you know, now I found another person that I could co-author with and all of a sudden all these connections start happening. And once again, you're expanding your network and you're basically growing your, your opportunities. So what would you tell somebody who's considering getting, you know, going to get a master's, so it's a master's certificate, not a master's degree. 
Exactly. Yeah. The master certificate is just kind of a way to say, here's a few classes that we think are important to building a foundation in financial therapy, but they are by no means, you know, the full blown 30 credits or whatever it is to actually achieve a master's degree. So what would you tell somebody who's looking at kind of that, that, that next level education level? So everyone is going to give you different advice. And I think that's the first thing I had to realize before I could actually make a decision. Everyone is going to push something different. And that's okay. You know, it's it's their advice. And ultimately, it's it's your choice. And I think the one thing that I will say is obviously in our profession, um, CFP, I think, is the... Um, you know, the standard of excellence, if you will. So once you've done that, I think kind of finding your niche is really important. And for me, we prepare taxes. So I needed to kind of honestly just gain a better foundation of that. And so I went for my enrolled agent exam. There's a lot of CFP EA people out there. And I loved that experience. So that worked really well for me. Um, but then all of a sudden, I kind of realized when I'm in these client relationships and in these client meetings, I all of a sudden kind of had an interest for the relationship and kind of the more um, like the coaching and counseling techniques that could be used and integrated into practice. So for me, I found these little niches. And that's honestly what I would encourage any student to do. It's okay not to know, you know, it's, it's, it's fine if you haven't found that niche. Give it a few years, reevaluate, have some conversations with some peers and some mentors. And then feel free to go attack that in whatever way that that might look like. I completely agree with you. And I think there's so much pressure that's put on new planners to figure it all out right away. And sometimes your niches find you. Like you can't find them. They find you. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's great advice too. Just be patient. You know, be honest with yourself. If you're not a tax guru, you're not going to go get your CPA or, you know, your EA or anything, master's in taxation. If that's not your thing and not your niche, honestly, my advice would just be don't push it. Find what you're good at because people like listening to people that are good at what they are naturally good at, if that makes sense. There's a lot of words, but, um, you know, just taking a step back and, and really having that conversation with yourself. And sorry, we keep going through all these qualifications and I forgot about the <laughs> EA that you have as yeah, well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was just something I did after my CFP as kind of a, you know, like I said, we prepare about, or I prepare about 50 returns a season. So that was just kind of like a, I look at everything, honestly, like a college class. I took a class, I took an exam, I took a class, you know, you know, rinse and repeat, right? And I think when you're younger and you're right out of school, you kind of have that, um, that, that motivation and that traction going. And I would say for as long as you feel like you have that, just to keep going for it and keep pushing it. Um, and of course, realizing there's there's time, find time for personal satisfaction in your personal life. But for me, I still feel like I'm in college a little bit. So I don't, I don't necessarily feel like it's all this pressure to get a certification. It's just continuing education, if that makes sense. So what's the next thing for you? What's What's your next step? Oh, I don't know what my next step is right now. I want to finish the Kansas State uh, certificate program. Um, I did recently, I hope not to jinx it, um, apply to the Pamplin College of Business, which is Virginia Tech's business school, um, to the recent alumni board. Um, and, you know, even if I don't get it kind of this upcoming cycle, I think that that's something that I really feel strongly about giving back to my school. And I would encourage any young planner to kind of say, 
where did I find my success and why did I find my success? And if that answer is your program, you know, find ways to serve that program through an alumni board or volunteer opportunities or, or speaking engagements. So what would be your advice to new planners who are just graduating college right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, my advice to new planners that are graduating, it's kind of like what we just talked about. I mean, be patient and find your people. And if finding your people means going to events like a next-gen retreat or the national next-gen gathering, um, really have those conversations with your managers to make sure that you're attending the events that you feel like will help build you up for success. I mean, I'm a graduate of the FPA residency program. I have nothing but amazing things to say about that. Um, you know, not only, of course, do you get, I think, 28 continuing education credits in six, six days, but you meet these mentors and these, these deans who change your life. I mean, honestly, when I was finished with the program, I wrote them all thank you notes. And then I got thank you notes for my thank you notes because that's just how polite everyone is in this industry. And I think that Anytime you can connect with people who have advice to give, it, it's just going to be nothing but valuable. I want to touch on this residency really quick because we yeah. haven't talked a whole lot about that on this podcast, but I hear the same thing from everybody who goes, what an amazing transformational experience it is. What was it about residency that made it so special? A, a few things. It is a diverse group of really motivated individuals. I mean, I, they're from all over the country, which is, of course, wonderful. I mean, when are you going to get in a room with everyone from all over the country, right? But basically, it's a, a six-day program that's held, I think, twice a year in Colorado um, that really focuses on the development of new financial planners. So when I say new, I think it's maybe less than three years, um, as well as people who are about to be CFP professionals, but maybe haven't met the experience requirement yet. So I think that the way that the program is structured is so, um, it contributes very heavily to the success of the program. Um, and then of course the methods that they use, which are pretty much like scenario building and case studies. Um, but instead of focusing on technical, they focus on the soft side of financial planning. Um, so where are you going to learn, you know, in six days about the soft side of financial planning when it could take people five years to learn that. So I think, that they found, like I said, a niche, right? They found a niche and they're helping so many people every year, I think, find success faster than they would have otherwise. Oh, that's great. And we'll have the links for residency. Um, they're in the show notes for anybody listening. Yeah, I would definitely encourage anyone going. I mean, a lot of the deans are just such... Um, like my dean was Jonathan Guyton and then Dave Yeski, I know, was another dean. And I mean, they're just leaders in the profession and they have so much advice and guidance to give that really helps I think new planners walk away just more confident. How is your work connecting you to your purpose, your community, and your values? I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade, and we believe that independent registered investment advisors have the power to impact the world in profound ways. If you've never considered being an RAA, it's time to take a look. There's no better way to put your skills and knowledge to work for the greater good of your clients, your community, and your own future. Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. 
If you like this episode, you can find more at fpaactivate.org and be sure to join the FPA Activate community on Facebook. It's a growing study group for financial planning professionals, from students to firm owners, professors, and board members. You'll find them all there where you too can lend your voice. We hope you'll join us and help grow the financial planning profession. Thanks for listening.